0: Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Uh, I'm Colby. I'm the lead pastor of Live Free Church. And about a year ago, my wife and I moved to Kelowna with our three kids, Becky, Estelle, and Evie, um, to plant a church. We left Salmon Arm as a youth pastor there for about eight years, and um, we felt a call to start a brand new church in Kelowna. Not just to have another church in Kelowna, that's not the point. We don't really care about having just another church in Kelowna, but actually... Um, My story is that we're so passionate about reaching people who are unreached in Kelowna because for me, I grew up in Kelowna. I grew up on 816 Leon Avenue, downtown Kelowna, um, right in the heart of the city. And for me, my story as I grew up in Kelowna, spent summers at gyro, played soccer at Parkinson Rec Center, my story was that I never actually heard the gospel. And so I believe truly there's people who've never actually heard about Jesus in Kelowna that all we want to do is make Jesus famous in Kelowna. Because I think that, that there's so many people that the church is just focusing on, but we forget our neighbors to our left and to our right. We forget people across the street from us. We forget people that, who might never ever step into the walls of a church. And I think this is an interesting time for us as we try to plant a church in a pandemic, and we're all digital. So if, you know, if you want to, share this with a friend. Um, One thing that I've noticed in my life is that when I've shared this with my friends, they actually watch it. They watch um, us streaming content about, about Jesus, about the gospel. The gospel is that you're a broken, sinful person and that Jesus came to live and die and rise again to free you from sin, but also from yourself, to live a life free, found in Jesus and him alone. So that's kind of a bit of our call, a bit of our call to Kelowna that we actually want to see A church that's always in pursuit of people who are unchurched. People who are just like me when I was a kid. People who never heard about the message of Jesus. So, if you'd love to join our community for for any reason, if you want to join us, um, you just want to meet with me for a cup of coffee, um, feel free to just DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, You can go to our website and fill out a form if you want. Um, And I would love to, to buy you a cup of coffee and just talk about what is Live Free Church about. What are we passionate about? Because I think one of the things that we're passionate about is that we think that that every other religion in the world is based on your achievement. But Christianity is the only religion where you don't actually achieve it, you receive it. That, to me, is so compelling. You see, our faith in Jesus isn't, isn't achieved, it's actually received. And for me, when I was 16 years old, and I heard that for the very first time, I was like, what is this? It changed the direction of my life. You know, when I met these Christians for the first time when I was 16 in a small town called Quinnell, Northern British Columbia, it changed my life. The implications of knowing about Jesus changed me. It shifted my life. But my question this morning is, is, what are the implications of your life? Like, what are you living for? I knew what I was living for before I became a Christian, I actually know what I live for all the time, even when I am a Christian. But Peter in this passage, Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a disciple of Christ. He was a follower of his. He denied him three times. He has all these amazing declarations of who Jesus is in the New Testament. Go and read through. Someone told me this this past week, if you want to read through your Bible, the best place to start is to read through Mark and go through the New Testament. And then go back and read from Matthew all the way through the New Testament, and then go back and read Genesis all the way through, because you have an idea that the, the whole history of the Bible, the story of the Bible, is about Jesus. And Peter was an eyewitness to the central, important point of the whole Bible. And that's Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection. See. David, this last past week, if you go back and listen to last week, David killed it. He preached this amazing message. And David was talking about this idea that our identity leads to our purpose. Right? That you believe, what you believe about yourself is lived out every day in your life. It's what you value. It's what you talk about. It's what you spend money on. It's like the people around you, they know what you value. They know what I value. Like my kids, if I was to go home and say, hey kids, what do I value? They would tell me what I actually value. Right? Let's say, Dad, you value spending time on your phone. Right? Dad, you value this. When Amazon comes every couple days, like your kids know the things you value. Maybe even your neighbors know the things you value by the way you spend your money, by the new cars in, the, in your driveway, the way you invest in your house, the way you talk to your kids. Right, like in our our neighbors in Salmon Arm, when we moved, they said this crazy thing to my parents when they were helping us pack up and move. They said, you know, we've never seen a family play like this in the backyard. And for me, I realized that our neighbors, sitting on their deck, just next door, were listening to our conversations. Right, they actually saw the way we lived our life every day. See, people around you are noticing the things that you value, the things that you hold on to, the things that you believe about yourself, but those things that you believe actually are lived out in your life. That's what Peter here is talking about today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. You see, people know what's important to you. You know, there's been scenes in my life, if you come over to my house, and my wife, Lori, would say things like, um, Colby, we're not talking about things. We're talking about people. Like for me, I'm a futurist. I love just to think about the next best thing. Maybe you're just like me. Like I'm like thinking about what's the next thing out there, right? What's like the newest phone, the newest computer, the newest gadget, the newest, the newest. I remember her talking about the fact that stop talking about things. All you talk about is things and your friends, all you talk about is your things and because all you're talking about is the stuff in your life but not the people in your life. You see, that's the implication of my life. Sometimes it's what I live for. I live for all the next things in my life. I actually have a hard time living in this present moment currently right now. I remember sitting in a counseling session with my counselor talking about the fact that when we started our church up, when we were purchasing all the gear, we purchased about 25000 bucks worth of gear, it really stressed me out. It freaked me out because I felt like we kind of planted our flag in the gear that we needed, but what about the next stuff? <laughs> what about the camera we didn't buy? What about the iPad we couldn't afford? What about the, the iMac? What about all these things that I thought we really deeply needed, but we couldn't afford? You see, I think what I was looking at, I was just looking at what's the next thing but not focusing on the thing. And it really stressed me out. It made me feel really kind of like anxious about all the things that we don't have. You see, that's the in- implication of my life. The implication of my life is, is that's a sliver. There's so much more. <laughs> right? like you, if you get to know me, you get to realize that I'm a broken and, and sinful person just like anyone else. but the implications of our lives, the implication of my life overflows into every area. It's the inner workings of what I believe to be true at work every day in my life. The things I value, what I spend money on. Right? It's, it's really what you deeply value yourself. That's the implication of your life because it overflows into every area of your life. How you have people in your house or your apartment or your rental unit how you share a cup of coffee with someone. Like, do you buy them a cup of coffee? Or you just freeload all the time on on them buying you a cup of coffee? You see, Peter here, in chapter 2, verse 11, 12, is talking about about the fact of what's the implication of your life. We talked about all this theology for the last eight weeks, about this idea of what's your cornerstone, because the cornerstone sets the direction of your life. Right? The fact that God loved you. He foreloved you. He loved you before you were born. He set you apart. He's chosen you. He's given you mercy. All these things. And Peter is talking today but what's the implication of all that? So this letter is, is written by Peter, who's eyewitness to Christ in roughly about 64 AD in modern-day Turkey. And here, let's check it out. Here's what it says here in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 says here, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers in exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. You see, Peter in this translation, and we use the CSB, and it's a Christian standard Bible, and, and really, we, I, the reason why we use this Bible is because I think it's the most accurate and readable translation on the market, and we're trying to reach people who maybe don't understand lots of big theological words, and we think this is very accessible for, for someone who is in university or someone who's in grade eight, that this is an accessible translation. But Peter here is saying, and this translation says, Dear friends, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. But actually, this, this word here, dear friend, actually is implying something so much different. Right? It's, it's implying that you need to remember who you are. Right? And it's saying that you're a friend of God's. I think a lot of times when I go and introduce myself, I say, hey, I'm, I'm Colby. And someone says, oh, what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm trying to start a church up in Cologne. They're like, well, I've never heard about that before. That's crazy. Who starts a church up? But I think so much of our identity is attached to what we do, like what Dave was talking about last week. But the translation that I also read called the ESV uses other word, and it doesn't just mean friends, it means beloved. See, Peter is saying this all in light of of who you are, your chosen, your mercy, your royal royal priesthood, of all this stuff that you actually are beloved. You're loved. That your identity is beloved. We look at the New Testament. This word beloved pops up in a declaration over Jesus and his baptism. And Peter here isn't just throwing this in there like a, like a mistake. It's, Peter is very purposeful. Like, people are in exile. He's telling them they're strangers. They're in this in-between place. But he wants them to know that they're loved, that they're desired by God. Their identity flows out of that love, that desire to know who, who Jesus is, that he actually thinks about you. In Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17, there's this declaration in the New Testament of, of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And Here's what he says here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, John the baptizer, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Just let that sink in for a second. Right coming out of the water, Jesus hears this, a voice And it's the father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You see, if you put your faith in Jesus, if your identity is found in him, you put your faith and trust in an object, that the object is Jesus. This is what he's saying about you, that you are beloved, that you're a Christian. And if you hear anything the beloved, it's not of God, it's not of Jesus. See, if you're a Christian right there and you're sitting at home in your living room and you don't feel loved, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're, you're actually your new identity is your beloved. The declaration of Jesus actually declared over you like you are my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Like that's where we find ourselves in this passage, and Peter's trying to remind us of who we are. Because who we are dictates who we become. So often, I think sometimes the Christians are the ones who say the awful things about other people, and Peter is reminding people of who they are because it should drive what you do every day. Like your identity determines your direction. It shows you what you value. It shows that Jesus is actually the hero of your story because he loves you. You're beloved. I remember when I was in Bible school and um, actually, no, I was in about grade 12 and I was thinking about going to Bible school because I was thinking about coming, becoming a pastor because I was really passionate about reaching my friends. Um, I didn't want to be a, like a career pastor. I just wanted to reach my friends better. I wanted to understand more about who Jesus was. So I went to Bible school. I remember people in Quenelle say things like, you don't say things the right way. Or you don't act the right way, or like like you're too edgy, or you're a skateboard punk. Like like all these things that people said about me, I remember thinking, man, like I don't feel loved by the church here. Like I don't feel loved by these people. All they do is nitpick me. And I went to Bible school and I felt like again, people picked at me. Right? Like like chick- chickens picking at each other, just like pecking, 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 like just all they're doing is say, you're not enough. You're not enough. I knew you weren't enough. I know, Colby, that you're not as good as so-and-so in ministry, but maybe that's the reason why I'm in ministry is because I'm not as good as someone else. I'm just trying to be myself. You see, I think sometimes the church has a terrible time of reminding people of their identity. And when your identity, when you follow Jesus, he says these amazing words over you, just like the Father says over the Son of the Baptism. Like, this is my beloved daughter, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Like, he said, I love you. Like, beloved is who you are. That's the implication of your identity. The implications of your identity found in Jesus is that you're beloved. See, beloved is who you are, it's what Peter is reminding the people of. In the church, it's so often that your worth is based on what you do. We've actually kind of compartmentalized our faith. It's like level one, level two, level three. And then when you get a certain level, it's like, man, then you're really loved by God. Peter's saying this, that's all just BS. It's not based on how you serve. Peter is saying that if you do absolutely nothing, if you're in your deathbed and you accept Christ in your life, you're beloved. It's not based on your works that defines you. It's not what others say that defines you. It's not your past that defines you. It's Jesus and the cross that actually truly defines you. And when you're found in that, you are beloved. That defines you. That marks you. That sets you free. And in that freedom, you actually go to war with sinful desires. That moves on. It says here in verse 11, it says, Dear friends or beloved I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. See, as strangers, here don't get too comfortable. Like, don't get too used to the the setting that you live in, Kelowna. Like, when you walk downtown, you see the boats, and you're like, man, I need a bigger boat. I need a boat. (laughs) Right? When you're walking down, you get parlor ice cream, and you're like, you know, eating your ice cream cone, and you're like, man, that mastercraft boat there looks amazing, right? Like, if I could just get that, spend my time on it, I would use that for God's kingdom, right? What he's saying here is don't get too comfortable. But in, your, in actually getting comfortable, what he's saying here is, is actually abstain or flee from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. I think when we look at sinful desires... I think, unfortunately, church has just looked at sexual desires, right? The, the church has just focused solely on, like, pornography or lust or affairs or whatever. But I think the church has just focused on, on sexual desires. But that's not what this passage is saying here, is sinful desires, fleshly desires, like abstain from them, flee from them, that wage war against your soul. I think when we look at, when we look at sin in our lives— Right, We so often look at, at the moment or the event of when we sin. But Peter's talking about here is so much deeper than that. It's like talking about the fact that, that we're actually at war right now with our, our fleshly desires. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, there's this great passage, and it. go and read it. It's kind of this allegory of heaven and hell and, and a, a person who, who ends up as these encounters with the angels. And then he encounters these other people talk to angels in heaven. I read about every year. And there's a conversation between a man and angel about sin. And here's what it says here. kind of hit me the last week and a half when I was reading this. It says here, murdering, so I'm talking about murder, okay, for a second here. It says, murdering old Jack wasn't the worst thing I did. That was a moment, that was the work of a moment. And I was half mad when I did it but I murdered you in my heart deliberately for years. I used to lie awake at night thinking what I'd do to you if I ever got the chance. You see, that to me is what sin looks like. It's not the act. It's a fact that you've been thinking about the act for three days or 30 years. It's not just killing someone, it's actually killing them over and over and over again in your mind. It's not how you spend your money in a moment. It's how you think about your money. It's the fact that it's yours. I think this is the case in Kelowna. Like, I would love to have a church that is radically generous with everything that we have. Like I don't think sometimes we said before in the, the opening video that, hey, we'd love for you to, you know, to give us your money. It's like, forget that. I don't care about you giving us money. I want us to be generous. Like, I don't think we need your money, but we want to see generous people because when you're generous, when you actually see that Jesus has been so generous to us on the cross, it changes the way I view my money. But I think in Kelowna, there's people who have money and there's people who don't. The people who don't have money just envision one day having something, having money. Like one day when I have a house, I'll be more generous. Or one day when I have a family, I'll be more generous. Or one day when I have kids, I'll be more generous. Or one day when I have nice cars in my driveway, I'll be more generous. One day my bank account is a certain amount, I'll be more generous. But here's the thing, that day never comes because guess what? We might not actually visibly see the sin out of your life, but sin is working every day in your life, saying more and more, like your money is your own. The bitterness that you think about other people working a way of, of, man, when I go back and I talk to that person about the way that they screwed me over, like I can't wait to talk to them and rebuke them and, and share with how much they hurt me. That's actually control. That's sin working in your life stripping you away, destroying you little by little. See, that's how sin rules you and I. It's how you think about things before you ever do something, before you ever commit the act of sin. You've thought about it for years and years and years. Maybe some of you have thought about things since you were 13 years old or seven years old. Like the way we're thinking about sin, about our possessions, about sex, about bitterness, about our pride. Our pride, just not just wanting more of something, but wanting more than someone else. Right? Like, those are the things that are eating away at us. Like, you're at war with sin. And that's what Peter's saying here is that when you realize that you're beloved, when you're loved, not for what you do or don't do, just the fact is you're loved in Christ when you, you're found, your identity is found in him. But right away it puts you at war with sin. Because God is perfect. He's a holy, righteous judge. You see, I think the church focuses always on the externals. And maybe if you've been a Christian and you grew up in the church at all for any period of time, that you realize that the church actually only focuses on the external things, but Jesus cares about the internal things. Because I, th- I believe that a marriage doesn't fall, fall apart in a mo- moment that the divorce papers are served. A marriage falls apart years and years and years ago. Maybe even a decade ago before that, when you started actually having contempt against that person being like, yeah, I can't believe I married this person. Right? Like, that's where your marriage ended, was 10 years ago. You see, that's why we're waging war against sin. Because the years that you live out determine the the implications of your life. There's a great quote by this guy named John Owen. He says, you're be killing sin or sin be killing you. Like, be killing sin or sin's going to destroy you and kill you. I think this is the the posture of our life. Like, either you're at war with sin or you're going to be killed and destroyed by sin. It's going to lead so much collateral damage in your life. To me, the first part about you being aware of your sin is actually going and talking to someone. It could be talking to your community group. It could be talking to a best friend. It could be talking to a counselor. Like talking about the ideas of how you hold money or the the way you you value your family or the way you're fearful of marrying this person or the way your marriage is broken or the way your kids are actually being raised. The way you think about your boss. Like all these things in your mind are actually, they need to be held captive. A couple years ago, my wife and I went on this cruise ship And I remember sitting in this cruise ship and thinking, man, like there's literally nothing to do on this thing. Right? Like there's literally nothing. We just walked around, we ate some good food, ate desserts at every meal all the time. Right? Like I think sometimes we actually, in North America, in the church, even in Kelowna, we want our lives to be like a cruise ship where everything is just so comfortable and so nice. We're not disrupting anyone. We're just doing laps, looking at the ocean, being like, oh man, I wonder what the performance is gonna be tonight. Right? We go to church and we think, oh man, like that was okay, church. Like, if that's what you do, you go to church and just think, okay, was that good or or not good? Like get to know your neighbors and share your faith with them. And I think sometimes our life is like a cruise ship, but actually what Peter's trying to say here is no, actually it's more like a battleship. Like we're at war. Right? Like you actually you're just strolling around a battleship going, like, oh, I wonder it's for dinner tonight. It's like, your battle station's ready to go to war against a foreign enemy. And that's what our life has to look like. I think we're so complacent. You think about even the fact of, of our, I think our sin of, of certainty in this moment, like, there's a moment here where we're so uncertain. I have no idea what's going to happen a month from now or three years from now because in a pandemic, who knows if we're going on a lockdown or not or if we can actually meet in a theater in three months. But Peter's saying here is that stop thinking of your, of your life as this cute little sentimental moment of, of comfort and safety, of you building a better life for you. That's, that's a prosperity mindset. What he's trying to say here is no, we're actually at war. Like when you believe in Jesus, your identity realize you realize that you're beloved, you actually are going to war for your faith. The implications of your identity is that you're fighting sinful desires. You're fighting sin. Because if you're not, if you're not killing sin in your life, if you're not uprooting it, destroying it, it's gonna destroy you, my friends. He moves on in verse 12. It says here, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. You see, when you realize that you're God's beloved child, a daughter and son with whom God is pleased in your it changes your affections, your desires. It makes you not takes you off that cruise ship and you end up on a battleship and you realize that you're actually at war with your sin, with your thoughts. The way you think about your life, that you're actually not the hero of your life, but actually Jesus is the hero of your story. What Peter says here is that it becomes a test. That people will recognize the gospel in your life worked out. In this translation, it actually says good works, but but I think so often, I think it it makes it sound so moralistic. Right? That they would see your good works or your good deeds, but actually what he's trying to say here is that this Greek word actually means beautiful. That the way you fight your sinful desires and the way you realize that you're a beloved child of God, that there's this beautiful mess of your life. That's the only way I know how to explain it that your life is this beautiful mess. Because your your life isn't based on your good deeds, it's based on Christ's deeds. See, I think I'll put it this way, is that people who think that Christianity is ridiculous, I believe are people who have not been around someone who has truly been changed by Jesus. I'm not saying that if you're really holy, if you're like Jesus, if you're a person of balance or a person of poise, a person of convictions, but a person of love and compassion, if you're like Jesus. I'm not saying people who get to know you automatically believe what you believe. No, but I think what happens is that they will not think Christianity is ridiculous, absurd, based on your living example. see there's credibility that comes to Christianity if you're consistent with how you view yourself, your morals, the things you think about, the implications of your life, the implication that you're a a daughter or son of the king and he thinks of you as a beloved child, but the fact that you're waging war against sin and your, your possessions and your family, all those things are tools for him. See, there's a credibility In who you are, and how you're living your beautiful, messy life. See, is that true of you? Like, are you an enigma to people? Is there anything remarkable about your life? Like maybe not even sharing, I just you know, talking about sharing this on your feed or sharing a message to a friend. But you're the actual invitation for someone to the gospel. Whether you're in Glenmore or in Kelowna, West Kelowna or Rutland, in Lake Country. Like, what they see in your life is going to change them. It's going to invite them to life change. I heard this quote this past week that the, the only version of the Bible someone's going to read is your life. And that was true, true for me. I remember when I was 16 years old, I met Christians who actually lived out what they believed. Their implications of their lives, where they believed their beloved children, sons and daughters of, of God, and they were waging war against their sin. And sometimes they're winning, sometimes they're losing. I looked at their lives and I said, man, like there's something different about these people. Like, how come I've never met Christians before? Like that? People who love so fiercely. See, that was the first time I ever read the Bible was being introduced to my friend Amy, to this family. To a, a youth pastor named Bob. Like, that was the first time in my life where I was actually introduced to the Bible with someone living it out every day. And that's what he's trying to say here. Peter's trying to say here is that, that when you're, you're, the implication of your life is that you're beloved and you're fighting sin. There's a test. Is so that do people around you see it? Do they see the beautiful mess of your life? They see the things, the implications of your life because they overflow into every area. See, I want you to know today, as I kind of wrap up, that you would know who you are, that you're beloved. That I think about my, my son, when I spend time with him, I'm like, hey, Beckett, let's go and play catch in the backyard. Let's go jump on the trampoline. Like, your father loves you so much that he wants to spend time with you. He wants to play catch with you. He wants to be with you because he loves you so much. That could mean just picking up your Bible and reading through through the Gospels. It could mean spending time praying, journaling, writing things out. You see, your father loves you. He adores you. And his posture towards you isn't, oh, I know that Colby screwed up. It's I I love you. You are my beloved child. And because of that, we, we fight our sinful desires. Like maybe you're out there and you're actually controlled by your thoughts, your sinful desires. Maybe you're like thinking about your boss and you're like, man, I just, I can't handle my boss. He lies. Maybe he drinks too much. Like maybe the things you think about, like it takes forever to process your thoughts, but maybe you go to work every day saying, I'm not going to work. Like I hate this. I hate the person I work for. But maybe it's your marriage crumbling to bits. Maybe it's your family, the way your kids treat you or treat your wife. Maybe it's the way you think about your possessions, that they're yours. That God owes you something. That one day I'll be generous when I have all the things perfectly in my control. See, wherever it is that you are, you're at war. and It's devouring you from the inside out. And Jesus wants to free you from that sin that's devouring you. If you're willing to talk it over with people and with God and say, God, this is the thing I've been focused on for so long. This is a relationship that's just made me so angry for so long. These are the hurts of my family that have plagued me for my whole life. Father, when I look at my bank balance, it's actually my money, not your money. Father, look at my car, my house. It's actually mine, not yours. I'm so sorry. It's just confessing to Jesus, saying, God, I'm at war now with all my sinful desires. I want us to pray for us to be people who think that that being a witness for Christ doesn't mean to look perfect. We're not looking for perfect Christian people because there's only one perfect person, that's Jesus. We're a mess. My life's a mess. If you, if you spend any time with me, bump up against me, you realize that, man, I am definitely not a perfect person. But when God calls us beloved children of his, that you're a beautiful mess, that's our witness to Kelowna. That our identity isn't based on our achievements. Right? It's based on how we receive Christ in our life. Our life isn't a sum total of our life. It's a sum total of Christ's life in us. And for you and I, that's great news. So I'd love for us to pray that, that we understand that we're beloved children of God, that we actually are at war with sin, and that we need to be a beautiful mess to Kelowna. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how you're working in our life. I thank you for how I needed this message this week how I, you just declare over me that, that I'm your beloved son. You're declaring to people in their living rooms today that they're beloved daughters and sons of you, Jesus. That our worth isn't based on what we achieve but what we receive through you, Jesus. Help us to understand the sin that right now that's holding us back the war that we're actually at with sin. Just bring it right to our mind right now. And Lord, we confess whatever it is that we don't want to have this, we want to actually go to war with this sin every day for the rest of our lives. and We actually want to let you have more control over our lives in this sin. We don't want to be destroyed by this sin. We don't to actually be defined by the way you love us. Father, I pray that we would be a witness to Kelowna, that our witness is that we're beloved children of you and there's this beautiful mess of our life. That we point to people, it's not because we're so perfect and holy and righteous people, it's that we're actually broken and sinful people and that we get love that we don't actually deserve and that love changes all the things about our lives. Lord, I thank you for this day and how you give given it to us. What a gift it is pray we'd understand the depth of the gospel that we can't achieve this, but we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.